If uh, you're visiting today, we are <clears throat> we've been looking at the book of Mark, and what we're going to talk about today is uh, what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, what we said about Mark is it does two things. In the first part, it reveals the person of Christ. And then in the second part, it reveals his work and what he's doing. We're going to see that today, especially uh, his work. In fact, our text tells us that Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve, uh, and to give my life a ransom for, for many. One thing is for sure, if you're a believer in Christ, uh, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is to serve. In fact, I would say this. If you want to know what it means to take up your cross, I mean, practically speaking, exactly what does that mean is that you're a servant to others. You serve God and you serve others. You're kind of dead to self and you're alive unto God and you, you are alive unto others. In fact, I would say this. This is the essence of what it means to be, uh, shall we say the big word today is authentic. To be real, to serve others. What can I do to serve you? That means you're really not thinking about yourself at all. Because you're kind of done with that. You know who you are in Christ. Now, there's a, there's a barrier that I have before I read the text. When we start talking about servant, being a servant, especially if you're not a believer here today or you're at best nominal, you're, you're immediately going to start uh, tuning me out. You understand that? Oh, yeah, servants. I was reading an uh, English preacher who was preaching on this text and uh, this is what he said to his congregation uh, before he launched off. He said, uh, so, we all have a yawn and we settle down to think about the next week ahead. Because who's going to get excited about the joys of slavery and the excellence of serving other people? This is not a subject to grab us. It is a theme our flesh finds tedious. And many of you are thinking, it will take more than this preacher to motivate me to become a slave. And you're dead right. It will take the blood of God, the Son of God, and the power that made the universe. Well, maybe this is a Sunday. Maybe this is the Sunday. That maybe you're faced with the fact that you serve yourself. And you hear the gospel. And repent of your sin so that you don't have to drink the cup of wrath that Jesus is talking about in our time. So, uh, we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. That's why we repent it in the bulletin. So, if you would turn there and read along with me. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. 
And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, do you, you, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you'll be baptized. To sit at my right hand or at the left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this cuts against our grain, even the most mature believer. Uh, We have uh, definitely our limit in ourselves as to this kind of life. And yet, Lord Jesus, this is the life you call us to. It's really the life of freedom. It is the glorious life to be free to serve. And yet, Lord, it is impossible without a person being born of your spirit. So, Lord, we pray for those who don't know you that they would understand the gospel maybe for the first time. And, Father, for us who do know you, Lord, we often grieve and quench your Holy Spirit because we don't serve. We're petty. We're selfish. We're inauthentic people, shallow. We go to broken cisterns that never satisfy rather than the deep wells of Christ who gave himself as a ransom for us. So, Lord, help us understand your word today in the moments that we have before we come to the Lord's table. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. I've done a lot of weddings. I think I've done over 200 weddings. And I'm happy to say that there are not a lot of divorces. I don't think it's because I'm a great preacher. I think it's because, uh, I number one, I make sure you're a Christian. And, uh, but one of the things that we do, and I, hopefully this is something that happens, uh, to somebody thinks about, and I've had people come back and say this to me. But one of the first things I say to them, it is the first thing that I say to them, is <clears throat> I give them a statistic. And the statistic goes like this. That of the people who get divorced after 15 years of marriage, it's usually something that happened in the first two years of marriage. 90% of the time. Some hurt, some wound. Something that causes us to pull back because we don't want to be that vulnerable again. And the divide begins and it continues and it continues and it continues until there's no union together. 
Now, the reason I tell them that, okay, the reason I tell them that is I, I speak to them about the importance of a mindset that's contrary to this world, contrary to the Shakespearean view of romance. And that is this. Your first two years of marriage, you be afraid of yourself and what you can do and the damage you can do. And you choose to be a servant to that person. You develop that mindset. You, you enter into their lives, not what you can get out of them, but you're marrying this person so the wife can blossom under your love and care as a husband. And that a husband can, can blossom as you seek to serve him. Platitude? Well, we'll talk about platitudes in just a minute. But what we see in our text is the mindset of the person of Christ here. In fact, it's interesting. Our text says he's walking alone. I don't know if you picked up on that. But he's on his way to be crucified on our behalf. And he's probably lonely. He's probably discouraged. He's probably trying to get his mind set on what he had to do as a human being and get his mind set Jesus' mindset was this, that no greater love does a man have than this, than he lays down his life for another. He tells us in our text that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now let me tell you what, I think this is what it means to be a Christian. He calls us to do the same thing. I think this is the essence of the Holy Spirit coming to a person in a way that they're, they're born again, they're made alive. And what are they? They're made alive unto? They're united to Christ, and He is in heaven, and we're here on earth. And He invites us to enter into the suffering of others. Platitude? Well, maybe if you don't have the Spirit. Or if you just remain immature and never have grown up to where you're giving and serving and sacrificing for others, but always having a need. You need to meet this need. And if you don't meet this need, I'll be upset with you. I'll be upset with the church. I'll be upset with the elders. Versus this mindset of serving. Now, I have a proposition, and it goes like this. If you truly understand the work of Christ, you will make it your business to serve his kingdom rather than subjecting others to yours. See, so you're either serving him and serving other people, or you're creating your own reality, your own kingdom, and you're making everybody as subjects to your reign and your life. Christians cannot build their kingdom and God's at the same time. To figure out what it means to be a servant of Christ is to forever have this mindset of how can I serve Christ? How can I serve one another? Platitude? Sure. If you don't understand what a platitude is. You know what a platitude is? Because I looked it up. I like words. Y'all notice that? You know what the word platitude means? Platitude is a remark or statement, especially one with a moral content, that has been used too often to be interesting or thoughtful. And it comes from the French word plot, or it means to be flat. It's one dimension, right? Okay, okay, whatever. One dimensional. But let me tell you why being a servant is not one dimensional to those who understand the gospel. 
Christianity is not flat-lined. It's not about ethics. It's not about morals. It is about the reality of what has happened in space and time and history where God leaves this high place and He comes to the valley of this world. No one dimension there. In order that He might lift us up so that we might lift others up. If it is flat to you, maybe it's because you have flattened yourself out with your flesh. That Christianity is not meaningful to you because you've numbed yourself to the work of the Spirit, right? Quenching the Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Christian marriages where husbands won't lead and wives will not encourage and build up that they've been so hurt, you just separate yourselves. And Jesus Christ is not glorified. You know why? Because we're building our kingdom and not His. So, Here's my question. Uh, does the idea of being a servant a platitude to you? Are you at this point ready to check out and go, okay, platitudes. And you're just going to go about the way you often do when you leave Redeemer. You have no intention of submitting your body and your life to the work of the Holy Spirit to where you go, you know what? I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband. And if you're a single person, I, you know what? I have time to serve. I'm going to love my roommate. I'm going to serve the body of Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because of our text and what we see in Jesus Christ. So there, there are three things, I think, that uh, explain this. Now, you always say, okay, three things. I'm going to say this again. Let me tell you why there's usually three points in a sermon. Okay? There's a problem. And then there's a solution to the problem. And then there's how are you going to respond to the solution? Like, do we ever get to number three? Do we ever get to the application in the so what of one and two? So here's the three points. Uh, we, by nature, are blinded to serving God's kingdom because we're so busy building our own. We don't even see it. You know, Jesus says, look, the fields are white unto harvest. They're everywhere. Trust me, open your eyes. Because there's nobody in that first row or the second row or the third row or the fourth row. There's nobody in here that's not experiencing the pain and suffering of the world and where to serve. But we're so busy building our own kingdoms, I don't have time to get around to your kingdom. And by the way, I don't want to serve your kingdom. So that's the first thing. And secondly, Christians are called to give up their kingdoms for the privilege, for the privilege of being servants. The freedom of being servants. Give up on your kingdom. Probably why some of you are so depressed. You can't get your subjects in line. And then finally, Christian service is directly proportional to our understanding of God's serving wretched people like us. I, you begin to grab that, then do you know what? This is not like theory. This is, oh, of course. Well, I'm going to have to do some ripping this morning. Uh, so, ripping, like not ripping you, ripping through my text here. First off, uh, we by nature are blinded to serving God's kingdom because we're too busy building our own. We see this in verses 32 through 37. And we'll see this in a moment. But as we said, the book of Mark is in two part, par parts. The, the, the person of Christ, 
The healing of the parallax, chapter 2. The calming of the storm is power over the, the, uh, the elements in uh, chapter 4, right? The calming of the storm. And uh, his uh, healing of the demoniac boy. His power over Satan and evil. We see that in the chapter before this in chapter 9. And the second part of Mark is about his work. What, what, what? It, it, it's, not, it's not enough that he's God. It's not enough that he just came here to teach us. Somebody has to pay for our sins, for your misdeeds, or however you want to call it. Now we see this in verse uh, 32, uh, verse 33. He says, uh, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days uh, he will rise. Okay, now this is the third time he tells them this. He's becoming more clear exactly about what's going to happen in a few months or weeks here in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is he uses the term son of man. And yes, son of man means that he is of the flesh. He was born of a woman. But son of man refers to Daniel chapter 7, that everybody's antenna up was up at that point because according to the prophecies, the Messiah should be right about this time. And so the son of man in Daniel chapter 7 is the ancient of days, the son of God. They're like an end. And he's telling them very clearly what you don't understand. The way John the Baptist didn't understand. Why am I in prison? Why am I going to have my head chopped off? What is the deal here? He did not understand and they don't understand that the Son of Man must, God in the flesh, suffer for us. He's the only one that gets this. Again, I just suppose that maybe he's walking alone. That's what rabbis would do sometimes. But maybe collecting his thoughts and, and the loneliness is there. That only he and the Father understood what he had to deal with. And so he's making it very clear, right? So how, what's their response? What's their response? Well, notice what it, uh, how do the disciples respond? Notice verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said, said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Now when you read this, you got one of two reactions. Uh, one is, uh, you're angry, right? They said, what is with these guys? Here he's talking about suffering yet again, and they had done this just the chapter before this. And now here they are doing it again. And guys, it's not just anybody. It was James and John, who were the inner three with Peter, who just had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so you don't know whether to be angry with them and how callous they can be, or you don't know whether to be sad for Jesus. He's there to serve them. He told them that I must die for you. And they want to know who's going to sit at the right hand and at the left hand. 
How heartbreaking that must be. You see, you have to understand that our Lord Jesus Christ, who's in heaven, is a human being in heaven, fully God and fully man, but he was fully God and fully man here, fully human, so that he might know your own loneliness when you're not understood by your husband or by, by your wife or by your mom or by your dad or by your roommate or by your professor, whoever it may be. He understands what your loneliness is. And so I really, I was less angry and more sad to think what our Lord had to go through. Now, when we think about this, though, we're the same way, right? You say, I would never do that. Uh, well, let's think about that for a moment. Notice what they ask. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. You ever done that? Uh, Lord, how to be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Straighten out my marriage, please. Uh, would you do this for me? Whatever it is I want. And you know what? The reason we're so unhappy most of the time is because we're not servants. We're trying to build our kingdom and what it is we want with our lives. And God, because he loves you, if you're a believer, is going to go, no, I love you too much. It's not about your kingdom. You're going to be miserable, but not only that, you won't serve other people, and the people in your sphere will be miserable. Now, let me ask you this. How many people are happy in your sphere of influence? Forget your marriage for a moment. How about people at work? If you, if you left a job, even unbelievers or, or believers, would they say, uh, glad you're gone? Or, or even with the unbeliever because you're walking in the, in the gospel and the power of the Spirit and you're serving. And they would be sad that you would leave. Uh, Lord, give us uh, what we want. Would you give us what we want? You see, this is the mindset of the flesh. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. You know, I'm going to be increasingly driving home in our culture because I'm deeply concerned that there needs to be a revival, not because it's America, but because I think so few of us consider how much we serve ourselves. I, I want to be understood. I, I, Lord, I... I you know, I can't believe you've put me in this financial situation. I can't believe that you didn't make me as pretty as that person. I can't believe that I'm still single. I can't believe... And you see, all these things, all these things that we say, when it gets right down to it, are absolute rebellion against God. So are you filled with the Spirit? Ah, oh, Lord, not my will be done. Your will be done. Or are you grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit if you have the Holy Spirit because you're in deep sin? Because you're too busy building your own kingdom versus His kingdom. Well, I could say more about this, but wouldn't you say that we're kind of like this? You know, Jesus' glory was when he was lifted up. You know who was at his right and left hand? Criminals. Naked. Humbled for us. To serve who? Well, I'll tell you this. If, you, if you're like one of God's elect and chosen before the foundation of the earth, for you. 
to shed his blood for me and for you. He didn't die for you in some generic way. He died and substituted for his people that we might be new to build his kingdom. Well, the second thing is Christians are called to give up their kingdoms for the privilege of being servants in his. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this because I want to come to my last point and drive this business about being a ransom home. But if you'll notice in verses 38 through 40, uh, Jesus says, okay. Uh, So, um, really, you don't know what you're asking me? Which, by the way, when you first became a Christian, did you have any idea what you were getting into? What? Oh, man, this is I'm free. And, And then, you know what? He wants to make a man out of you. He wants to make a real woman out of you. And so he makes you from going a baby, dude. He starts raising you up and he Puts the wood on you every now and then. He puts you in tough situations to see if you really have a genuine faith or not, right? And so Jesus says, says, you guys have no idea what you're asking. And he says, can you drink the cup and can you receive the baptism that I'm going to receive? And what would they say? Sure. Well, guys, you need to know what the cup is and what the baptism is. A lot of you that are biblical scholars would know this. In the Old Testament, the cup was... Judgment. That God's cup is getting filled, it's getting filled. Maybe it's happening in your life right now. Maybe you're just becoming so, so given over that your cup's filling up, filling up with the flesh. And at any moment, it could break forth and it could overflow. The cup of wrath comes. And Jesus says, can you drink that cup? And I'll tell you this, if he does not drink that cup for you, you will drink that cup one day. And what will you say to God in that day uh, when he says, well, uh, I want to know why you did so and so. But not only does he talk about the cup, he talks about baptism. And for you Baptists who are here today, I will give you this. The word right here means immerse. But it doesn't always mean immerse. That can you be immersed into the judgments? Because you see, Paul talks about the, the baptism you received at the Red Sea. You were separated out, but what happened to the, to the Egyptians? They were drowned in judgment. And of course, uh, yeah, they said, sure. Sure, we can do that. How brokenhearted you must be again. You, do, you don't understand. And so what does he do? He says, you know what, you are going to drink that cup. Seems like an inconsistency. But let me tell you why they will drink that cup. And this is what the privilege he asks us to do. Okay, the privilege he asks of us is that once they receive the Holy Spirit, did they drink that cup? Yes, they entered in, didn't they? Not the cup of wrath. But they begin to be not uh, like the right, at the right hand or the left hand. You know what it means to be a believer is you uh, at the, uh, the, uh, reigning at the right or left hand. But you are the right and left hand. Right? You're united to Jesus. He's the head of the church. And now he's in heaven and you are here. And you know what? He continues to suffer for his people through his people. Why are you not serving? I mean, just pull out your calendar. Look at your checkbook. How much money do you give to the body of Christ? The kingdom of God. How much money? 2%, 1%, no percent? How can that be? 
How can it be that, that you don't serve your husband or your wife? You're a Christian. You know what it means to be a servant? What, what a servant's got? Hey, I don't like that. No, a servant's like, what can I do for you? I'm here. I've been watching that. Is it Downton Abbey? Is that how you say it? You know? Yes, sir. I would like to have one, a couple of those around. But they're not thinking in terms of, why? Well, I'm not going to do that. Platitude, yes, to you who don't know Christ. To you who've grieved the Holy Spirit so much, you've wrecked your marriage. Uh, you've wrecked your relationship with your parents and your children, and you've wrecked things. God is gracious. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard of a person who understood what it means to, to, to be baptized in the same way Christ did, and enter into his suffering. And I tried to find this illustration. I couldn't find it anywhere. It was in a book I read. But it was about a nurse. It's a Christian nurse who worked with three other nurses who were not Christians. And they were caring for this girl who was like a vegetable. A beautiful girl that had a stroke at like 20, 21 years old. She was like a beauty queen. And there she is laying on the bed. And eventually family quit coming, everybody quit coming because she'd been there for a year. And, and then it came to be Thanksgiving one time. And so because none of the family came to get her that time or to come, come, come see her, then that meant somebody had to, to take care of her. And all the other nurses were upset about it. And, and so this Christian nurse, you know what she did? She, she volunteered. And, uh, and, 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 and throughout the whole year, she would always talk to this girl. Like, like she was not a vegetable. Like she was alive. So on that Thanksgiving day, she didn't want to be there. <laughs> she wanted to be home with her family, watching the, well, probably not watching a football game, maybe. She's a Dallas fan. But, you know, being with family, enjoying each other. Like, that's what we want to enjoy each other. And there she is. She volunteered. And so she goes in, and she's telling this girl, this beautiful girl that's a vegetable, how thankful she was to be with her. And I can't think of somebody I'd rather spend Thanksgiving Day with somebody like you. And as she was in the room and uh, talking to her, she comes around on one side of the bed, and the girl's uh, expressionless, and she had tears coming down her cheek. You know why? Because she was always there. That's what it means to be a servant. Jesus says, you know what it means to not get separated out with the goats? To, to, when, when I was uh, naked, you clothed me. And when I was hungry, you fed me. And they said, Lord, when? It says, and the righteous said, the sheep. Lord, when do we do that? We don't remember that. You remember what he said, right? When, when you clothed the naked, you clothed me. And when you cared for the needy, you cared for me. Platitude, I say not. Well, I guess that means point three. Well, here's point three. How you do this? Right? Because uh, every day... You get up, if you're married, or if you're not married, you go home to your, you know, meet your roommates or whatever, you're in school together. But I, I, you know, when I come home from work, do you know what chances are my wife had a hard day? Because, you know why? Because we live in a world that's tough, isn't it? And chances are, when I come home, she's, you know, I probably had a tough day, you know, because we're not in heaven yet, are we? 
But the mindset of me should be, when I go through that door, not to be, sir, but what's going on with my wife? And you know what her mindset should be? I've had a hard day, but I bet my husband's had a harder day. Let me ask you something. Will that build unity in your marriage? What about if you want to walk in the door and say, I want to be served and you need to do this for me? You know what? That's why some of you are depressed. Because you're not free to serve. You say, well, you don't know my husband. Well, I know Mary Beth's husband. (laughs) And uh, trust me, she has to work on uh, discipline of loving me. And, of course, she's an angel, so I have no problem. Well, how do we do this? Well, Jesus says in verse 45, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. To give my life a ransom for many. You know what that means, a ransom? That means somebody's got to be purchased. Somebody has to be paid for. And you know what that says about everybody in here? You're a slave. You might not think you're a slave, but you're the ones that are most slaves. Let's go watch The Matrix. You're in the pod, right? And then all of a sudden the guy started realizing, whoa, something's not, something's not right here. Like my earpiece. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, remember, uh, he, all of a sudden he's aware that, oh, wait a minute, these people are in a pod ready to be eaten by aliens. There's another world that's out there. You remember the movie, don't you? And then he had the choice to take, I can't remember which color pill it was. I was going to look it up, I promise you. But for y'all that know the movie, uh, he had the opportunity to go, uh, as he was knowing what reality was, is to take one pill and go back into the pod, right? To go back into the unreality or, or to stay in reality and to fight for those who are in the pod. Which one do you want to be? But the fact of the matter is, when you become a Christian, you become aware of how fallen the world is, how difficult it is, why Christ had to come and die. Do you understand that? Or do you just want to go right back into the pod of Masters, Georgia football, uh, tapes and tea, crumpets, being with friends? Or, Or, dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Jesus came to set us free. And you know how he set us free? By shedding his blood. Now let me ask you this. Has he ransomed you? Now the reason we chose the word redeemer is because it means to be purchased. If you're a redeemer and you join the church, here's my assumption about you, is you don't think you're your own. And rather than thinking, what's redeemer going to do for me? It's the exact opposite. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave himself for you. Now, guys, when you understand, if you really believe that, do you understand how free you'll be? Instead of going, well, I I helped out yesterday at the seminar. Where was everybody else? You ever met people like that? Oh, my goodness. And they do stuff to earn things, and you owe me. Have you ever been around people like that? Maybe you're that person. Could you imagine what it would be like to live with you? You owe me. But how about if you live with a person like that and you go, well, you know what? I'm going to serve that person. Why? Because I do this to Jesus all the time. But you know what? He still loves me, doesn't he? Does he love you even though you're like me sometimes? I'll tell you how you know it. And when you become genuine and authentic, it's when you give yourself to other people because you're done with yourself. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, that is true biblical Christianity, and I don't know if we're going to see it revive in America. If I sure like to see it here. I'd like for you this morning to be born again if you've never been saved. Your desire of the essence of holiness is service. Well, I know we're about five minutes over, but I want to pray, and uh, as we come to the Lord's table, let's you worship the Lord and hear him say uh, to us, this is my body and my blood. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that none of us are the servants that we should be. Jesus Christ, you're the ultimate servant. But Lord, I do pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would know that he is coming back as a king. And, and, and the, 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 the cup will be filled up either upon him or upon oneself. Lord, would you convert people this morning that they would come to Christ and see the loving Christ taking our sin 2,000 years ago on the cross and giving us the Holy Spirit so that we might be like Jesus. And Father, for us who know you, Lord, would you, we, we can't do this. We need your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.